Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All groups of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this uh, Saturday, the 8th of August. Of course, we're recording it on the 7th of August, Friday, the 7th of August. Uh, I'm Giselle Hanna. Good morning. Good morning. That's right. Can, um, and my name is Pierre Morrow and it does get difficult sometimes to get those dates right in this uh, uh, new uh, pandemic times, but uh, we're still bringing you the, the news. And, um, and of course, uh, this is Asia Pacific Currents brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links and those contact details, Giselle, that you know so well. That's right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. We are on Facebook and Twitter. So find us on those social media platforms. We continue to share news and current affairs and information from the Asia Pacific region on those platforms. Of course, um, Pierre, the 6th of August is the commemoration of Hiroshima Day, the um, atomic bombing of the city of Hiroshima in Japan. Um, And this year is the 75th anniversary of that. So in the second part of the program, we're going to be speaking with Comrade Jacob Grech, who is a um, stalwart anti-war activist and AAWL's coordinator of our uh, anti-arms industry campaign. So we'll be covering that in the second part of the pro- uh, uh, Hiroshima Day as well as um, impending war with China and just where the world stands in relation to that. Yes, I do remember uh, being in um, anti-war demonstrations, uh, anti-military demonstrations with Jacob 30 years ago. So there you go. Uh, but that will be in the second half of the program. We do obviously have the news roundup, which also includes Hiroshima and Nagasaki Day. But we might as well just go straight to it and I'll... Um, start off with the first story which obviously this week uh, can only be one thing and we go to Lebanon where this week at around 6 p.m on Tuesday a major fire broke out in the storage section of the port of Beirut in Lebanon at some point soon after the fire ignited a nearby warehouse that had 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate stored in it which is actually the main component of fertilizer. This uh, nitrate then generated a huge explosion that um, destroyed most of the port, leaving behind the crater over 100 metres in diameter. It also damaged surrounding buildings up to five kilometres away and could be heard up to 100 kilometres away. And the pictures are truly horrific. The um, blast and the resultant sonic wave killed an estimated 150 people. And I say estimated because they're still digging through the rubbles. Wounded another 5,000 people and left up to 300,000 people homeless. And is called and is estimated to have caused up to 15 US dollars, 15 billion US dollars in damage. 
While investigations have just started, it has been revealed that the ammonium nitrate had been stored in that warehouse for the last six years and safety concerns had been repeatedly raised over this time. Unfortunately, terrible incidents like these are not accidents, but are the result of lack of proper health and safety and have uh, unfortunately occurred before. Just as a reminder, in August 2015, about 800 tonnes of stored ammonium nitrate also caught fire and exploded at the port of Tianjin in China, killing 170 people, while still in China, in March of last year, in Jiangsu province, an explosion at a chemical plant killed 80 people. And moving now to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, 75 years ago on the 6th and 9th of August, respectively, the USA military dropped atomic bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The two bombings killed around 175,000 people with another 90,000 people dying by the end of the year due to radiation injuries. These deaths were on top of a massive firebombing campaign against almost 70 Japanese cities, killing around 550,000 people in the preceding months. It was mainly working class communities that perished in these two holocausts. The anniversaries are remembered by anti-war activists all around the world to protest a military industrial complex that still profits from the ravages of war. We go now to um, West Asia um, um, again, and uh, we go to Iran, where the um, uh, the strike wave has uh, expanded. So the strike that we have previously reported on uh, at the Haftape sugar refinery in southern Iran has now passed 50 days. The demands of the workers continue to remain the same around unpaid wages, freeing arrested work comrades, re-employing sack workers and the nationalisation of the sugar factory. Strikes are now also spreading across many of Iran's heavy industries sectors, in particular the petroleum and energy sectors, and we believe that tens of thousands of workers are involved in these actions. Um, these um, um, the main demands of these actions centre around unpaid wages and benefits and widespread corruption. And in Jordan, following on from last week's detention of leaders from the teachers' union and the closing of its offices by the government, teachers came out in force this week with protests in major cities. The teachers' syndicate, which was only founded in 2011, has around 140,000 members, making it the biggest union in the country. This week, teachers showed that they were not going to be intimidated by the government's actions by calling for the release of their imprisoned leaders, as well as the reopening of the union's office. In addition, the teachers are also still demanding the big pay rise that they had won last year after a month-long strike. I think there'll be another interesting uh, uh, action uh, by workers. They'll be uh, good to, f to follow up in the next few weeks and months. But we come to Australia where this week maritime workers in the New South Wales city of Newcastle managed to get a ship impounded by the Australian Maritime Safety Authority. The workers had received news that the seafarers aboard the bulk carrier Unison Jasper were being mistreated, underpaid, and were fatigued by overwork. The Maritime Union of Australia claimed that after talking to the ship's crew, 
all of whom were from Myanmar, they found out that uh, not only had the seafarers not been allowed off the ship for the last um, 14 months, but that they also had been forced to sign contract extensions. This ship is a good example of the tangled web of ownership and responsibility that afflicts this sector, as the ship is a Taiwanese-owned ship that sails under a Hong Kong flag, is captained by mainland Chinese officers with a uh, crew from Myanmar. The um, MUA, in conjunction with the International Transport Federation, uh, are currently working to recover the seafarers' wages and to find them back home in Myanmar. And in Japan, unions win pandemic support for workers. Since the start of this year, the Japanese Federation of Textile, Chemical, Food, Commercial, Service and General Workers Union, in conjunction with other unions, have pressured the government to subsidise workers' wages if they're affected by COVID-19. This subsidy, known as Employment Adjustment Subsidy, has been progressively increased over the last few months. In April, the subsidy was set at 67% of income for large companies and 80% of income for small and medium-sized companies. With the pandemic continuing and the economic crisis deepening, the union has managed to get the government to increase the rates to 75% and 100% in those large and small to medium-sized companies, respectively. A very um, excellent achievement by Japanese workers, uh, certainly something we want to see here in Australia. And although there is some minor provision for pandemic leave, it's certainly not across um, all workers in all industries on any type of visa and any citizenship status. And that is what we need here in Australia. That does bring us to the end of news from around the region. Pierre, we're going to go to some community announcements and then we'll be joined by our special guest for this morning, Jacob Grek, who will be talking about um, the anniversary of um, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and, of course, the, um, the brink of war that the planet currently sees itself on. Exhibiting 300 artworks by 286 Indigenous artists currently in or recently released from prison in Victoria, Confined 11 serves as a strong visual metaphor for the over-representation of First Nations Australians in the criminal justice system. This year, The Torch presents the annual Confined exhibition online at thetorch.org.au. All artworks are for sale and 100% of the sale price goes directly to the artist. Help us paint a brighter future. Head to thetorch.org.au from May the 14th to explore Confined 11, a 3CR supporter. You could be anything of everything, but I most of all be You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. And you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents with Giselle and Pierre. We're taking you through to 9.30 this morning. And we're now joined by Jacob Grek, our uh, special guest this morning. 
as we mentioned earlier, Jacob is a stalwart anti-war pro-peace activist and AAWL's um, anti-arms industry campaign coordinator. That's a mouthful, Jacob. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Giselle. What a what what an introduction. But um, but yeah, today, uh, well, yesterday was the seventy-fifth anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. And then on the 9th, of course, which is um, probably Sunday, um, we'll have the bombing of Nagasaki. And all too often, the second is the second is forgotten. And I guess with my... Well, I was going to talk about the history of what, of what happened in um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but it strikes me that um, most of the listeners would know what happened. It was an absolute devastation where the war was already won everybody now everybody now acknowledges that and um it was used as a blatant racist experiment um on one and one reason was as a blatant racist experiment and the second reason of course was to let the soviet union know that america had to bomb and that is now accepted um by people on all sides, both sides of the fence. Um, so I think what's more important now is to talk about, you know, we often say Hiroshima never again. And we say Hiroshima never again, and we repeat it like a mantra while we blindly seem to be heading into another war. Um, commentators um, all around the world are worrying about the, the hostilities with China. And every day, and I'm not, I'm not kidding here, I'm not even exaggerating when I say every day, every day there is new rhetoric coming from the United States, Australia, India, Japan against China. And um, it's a problem, particularly in Australia. Um, now, just to sort of draw a, a couple of things together, a couple of weeks ago in, um, well, last week, I think, in Washington, we had the Osmin talks where we had our foreign minister, Maurice Payne, and our defence minister, Linda Reynolds, over in Washington um, for annual talks. And you can say it's annual talks. They happen every year. Obviously, it's no big deal. But the big deal about this one is that because of the COVID situation, they were planned to meet by teleconference. That was called off at the last minute, and they were summoned to Washington to meet face-to-face. Now for any number of reasons, possibly because they were concerned that if they believe even a part of the rhetoric, um, they didn't want um, Johnny's intercepting their telecommunications. But I think they wanted to um, to bring them in to, to have a face-to-face to get their orders. And there are a couple of things that came out of it. Um, primarily, there is a new agreement called the um, United States-Australia Force Posture Agreement which is a secret agreement we're not allowed to know the details of, even our parliament is not allowed to know the details of. For in, a, in a situation where, where the parliament has been campaigning for more transparency <clears throat> in the triggers for war and hostilities, they've actually signed a secret agreement where we do not know. We, do, we have no idea, well, we have ideas what the, um, what the process is for Australia assisting the United States. We do know that they were talking about a number of things over there. They were talking about increasing the size of Pine Gap. They were talking about increasing the number of troops in Darwin. And they were even talking about building a, um, another couple of bases, including 
a, um, a short-range guided missile launch base in Northern Australia. Now, nothing came out of that in the communique, though we know it's written, that it's admitted that they were discussing it. And so we can only assume that the details of these discussions are in a secret agreement that we're not allowed to know about. Now, put that together, just to put me arm straight um, hat on with AAWL at the moment, one of the other things they were talking about is what's called resilience. Um, Australia has no economic resilience. Of the OECD countries, we have the least, least diversity in our economy. And of the developed nations, we are the most dependent on Chinese trade um, than any other developed country. Now, that's partly to do with our geography and partly to do with um, our neoliberal agenda. But what's happening is a whole lot of people are talking about increasing Australia's complexity, diversity, to help kickstart the economy. And what with the talk of war, what we're seeing, and you saw the announcements of Scott Morrison a couple of weeks ago about um, arms purchases, we're looking at Australian government in the light of all the hostilities against China, ploughing money into the arms industry in Australia um, for one reason is building up Australia's economic complexity and diversity. Manufacturing has died in Australia, as you people and um, Asia-Pacific Currents listeners are well aware, um, and they need to kickstart the manufacturing sector in Australia, and they're doing that by increasing arms sales. And that's a problem, because we've got a problem where most workers, I'm sure, would rather be building something more socially beneficent than weapons to kill people in Yemen and um, China and Syria and um, all over the place. So it is a ma it is a major problem, and um, so we've got this weapons build up. We've got a weapons build up which is integrating ourselves into the U.S. war fighting system. Our weapons build up is building things made to work only with United States weapons systems, and um, at the same time we've got these increasing hostilities with China, particularly in the last week or so, um, in the Pacific island in the Pacific Ocean around Galapagos Island um, in Ecuador and um, what's the word, economic territory. But anyway, so we've got a bleak future looking ahead of us, my friends, and um, it's concerning me a whole lot of the rhetoric that's coming out against China, but not only about China, not only about war, um, but the whole headspace of Australia. When we listen to the COVID, and I don't want to get into the COVID thing because we all agree that it's a nasty thing, but the way that our national leaders and our state leaders are increasingly using militarised language in, um, in the um, fight, to use their words, against COVID. They're talking about it as a cunning enemy, a hidden enemy. They're talking about every citizen, every person need to do their bit. And, and it's, it's getting scary. I'm almost waiting for an ad that says, you know, Uncle Dan needs you. In the fight in the fight against COVID. So we're looking at a whole remilitarization of our society. We're looking at the neuro-linguistic programming, whether it's conscious or subconscious, is um, irrelevant of um, getting people's headspace into a, in, into a war thinking. And that's what's worrying me. Um, thanks for that.
that, uh, Jacob, that was a very good uh, ov overview. And, and that's right, the language of uh, militarization just keeps getting worse. But um, my question is really like, I just said that in the introduction when we first started about that, I remember uh, you from about 30 years ago at the anti-ADEX demos in Canberra. I thought you were going to say when that. I was going to say Naranga as well, a couple of years later in the middle of the desert. Uh, I haven't forgotten that one either. But the, so the point of the question is that we've been fighting and campaigning hard, you know, for 30 odd years and before that as, as well. But to tackle this industrial, political, uh, military complex, it's a really, really tough task. And especially when the drums of war are beating stronger, where do you see the way forward? I think the way forward is to try to to, to start with. Um, look, you remember you remember ADEX, um, the the information pack we put out at the very start of ADEX in the '89 ADEX had the saying on the the tagline on the front: the first step in opposing the masters of war is to expose them and and that's what we need to do we need to start bringing this into the left discourse it seems like the people don't want to talk about it we need to talk to the unions for a start about why they are supporting the build-up in the australian arms industry um, you see the amwu for example is talking about itself as a fourth wing of the military um, we need to talk to the workers about are these the jobs they want, are these the things they want to be manufacturing. We could be manufacturing fridges, we could be manufacturing cars. They're no more, they're a lot less complicated than guns yes. and weapons systems. We could also be manufacturing sustainable um, energy resources. I mean, the politics of that from a left-wing perspective is very clear, but here is here is how I see it, Jacob, and I'm interested in your response or, or, or your views on this. Part of the issue is the, um, you know, over the last 10 years, the, the destruction of the anti-war movement. You know, it's not that one day the workers woke up and were nationalist. You know, there, there had been efforts and the left had made some progress in internationalising the movement and the um, successive federal governments in Australia and its anti-immigration policies, the demonising of refugees, the demonising of the other, which builds a anti-migration um, narrative in this country, the rise of the alt-right, the white supremacists, the uh, emboldened racist movement on the ground. This is what is the precursor to the period we're in right now, which is we're going to war. And for those of us that were active over the last 10 years watching this and trying to um, build consciousness that all of this was leading to war, I mean, to be fair, we failed. We failed in Absolutely. building our ranks to fight back against this. So now here we are, merely making an argument to the workers is insufficient. What, what does organising look like? How do we... How, how do we progress the anti-war movement on the brink of war with nationalism as rife as it is? 
Wow, just, that's a just huge tell question. Us, yeah, how, how, how do we save <laughs> the world? Well, how do we save the world? No, and I, I think part of that there there was a massive failing of the left. I accept that, and and I think a part of that has been you know there's been it's it's a whole lot of reasons we haven't got we haven't got time and um, but part of it has got to do I've I've got to be honest with the left smugness. I, I know, have to. Bit, we've got five minutes, Jacob. So let's see if you can get right. it all in in that. I'd like five hours around a campfire. Um, but but a part of it has to do with with the left smugness. We um, haven't been the the left has been dismal at um, reaching out into areas outside of you know the the tofu belt, I guess south south of belt south of Bell Street. Um, although it is moving to Murray Street these days, that's a, that's a progress. Um, and the the almost the the range of issues that that are discussed at the moment seem to be more the the left the alternative the left green whatever you want to call it the the kind of people who listen to three CR ourselves included and um, in in recent years seem to have been more interested in I guess what I'd call social aspects of politics rather than the economic aspects of politics for a start and I think what we need to do is start talking start including the economic aspects of the politics and when we're talking about social issues and that is that you know war does not economically advantage the worker war economically contributes to the shift of resources from the worker to the one percent and i think we need to be out there saying you know we need to start building a resilient base that is not based on harming other people. So to, to in a way, marry the social and the economic arguments together, which I think we've, we've, we've failed to do. And I think, as I said to open, I think we've been a, a little bit smug. Um, the, the rise of the right, um, and particularly, you know, things like the UPF and all the other sort of yobbo um yobbo groups um has been a response of people who see that the system isn't working and the unfortunate thing most of those people aren't racist i ran into a bloke in ballarat a couple of months ago who was a who was a right-wing redneck and he started having a discussion with me and he said well at least you people having a crack he said you know who really gives me the shits i said well surprise me man you know and he, he did surprise me. He said, those people who sit at home doing nothing, watching their television because they're happy with the way things are. I was expecting him to come out with one of the cliches, but he came out with that. And that told me that, you know, I'm not saying we should join these people. I'm not saying we support these people. Far from it. Um, you know that when the first big racist rally happened in Melbourne on Flinders Street, I'm, I'm the person who called the protest against it, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about supporting them. But what I think we need to see, to, to acknowledge, is that this, the rise of the, the weird right, the Yobbo right, isn't so much political in that that's where they want to be. It's an acknowledgement that things aren't working. 
and unfortunately they have greater access to the Murdoch press and people like the Citizens Electoral Council who sit in shopping centres in all the working class um, rental belts around the outskirts of Melbourne than we do. And um, I think we need to, to, to move out and start talking to those people and not, um, treat, and, and not taking the Hillary Clinton line that these people are the deplorables. Um, I think we've, we've, to some extent, pushed people into the hands of um, organisations like the UPF and ultimately like Trump. Well, we are certainly in a very um, a precarious position in terms of we don't have the forces we need to fight back adequately. We must build them and we must build them in the middle of the war to um, avoid the economic collapse, avoid the mass casualties that a, another world war will see. That is where we are. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us yeah, on the thank program you. And remember, war is, war is good for the peace movement. I'll leave um, you with that really sad statement. That's what it's <laughs> going to take for people to realise. Oh, thank hopefully, you. Hopefully not, Jacob. All right, thanks a lot. And we'll keep um, fighting and, and see you in the next uh, demo or meeting. We'll always keep fighting. Take care, comrades. Thank you. That was Jacob Grech, stalwart anti-war, pro-peace activist and um, AAWL's anti-arms industry campaign coordinator. And Pierre, that does bring us to the end of another Asia-Pacific Currents for a Saturday morning here on Community Radio 3CR. A big thank you to the staff for helping us get this show on air, as always. Um, and don't forget that Victoria is in stage four lockdown. So please stay home. Please follow the rules. The fines are very prohibitive. You don't want to get one of those. Um, we'll be back next Saturday morning with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. That's it for me, Giselle Hanna. And that's it from Pierre. Tomorrow and keep listening to 3CR Radio. Just one final thing. You can hear more from Jacob Grech on a Friday rave. That's every Friday at 5 o'clock here on 3CR. So tune in to that.